Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss wild animals with nowhere left to retreat. This spring, it seemed like animals were trying to get humans. To rethink their relationship with nature, a wild Siberian tiger was caught and released after it attacked a woman in northeastern China in late April. One of the three escaped leopards from Hangzhou Safari Park over the May Day holiday has yet to be found. Also in May, a herd of fifteen wild Asian elephants entered a village in Shiping County. Southwest China's Yunnan Province, while making a year-long journey from their home in Xishuangbanna, in the further south of Yunnan. Yunnan is the only area of China with wild Asian elephants. In 2018, it was home to 293 Asian elephants, up from 193 in 1983. According to the Yunnan Provincial Expert Group on Asian Elephant Protection, but for millennia, the habitat of wild Asian elephants stretched much farther north into China before human encroachment forced them south. Wild Asian elephants once roamed the middle and lower reaches of the Yellow River, in what is today's northern China. The Asian Chinese character for Yu. The historical name for what is now central China's Henan Province in this area is a pictograph of a man leading an elephant. Many Chinese characters originate from ancient pictographs. The earliest writing was inscribed on bones and tortoise shells more than three thousand years ago during the Shang Dynasty. In 1975, a bronze elephant cast. During the late Shang, was discovered in central China's Hunan Province, which lies in the middle reaches of the Yangtze River. It is now housed at the Hunan Provincial Museum. There are another two famous Shang bronze elephants. One is at the Guimet National Museum of Asian Arts in Paris, and the other at the Freer Gallery of Art in Washington. These artifacts show that people of the Shang were familiar with elephants. However, Han Fei, a philosopher who lived in the third century BCE during the Warring States period, wrote, "Men rarely see living elephants. As they come by the skeleton of a dead elephant, they imagine its living form according to its features. Therefore." It comes to pass that whatever people use for imagining the real is called an elephant. In Chinese, an elephant is a xiang. It is quite compelling, as even the modern Chinese word for imagination, xiang xiang, literally translates to thinking about an elephant. While modern studies contest this idea, it is true. That elephant populations gradually moved from northern to southern China. In 1979, Wen Huanran, a historical geographer 
who pioneered the field of study in China, outlined the changing migration patterns of wild elephants over the millennia. According to his research, around six to 7,000 years ago, up until 2,500 years ago, the farthest north wild elephants were roaming around was what is today's Anyang in northern Henan province. Interestingly, Anyang was also the Shang capital for 273 years since the 14th century BCE. By the year 1015, wild elephants were no longer found north of the Qinling Mountains and the Huaihe River, the natural boundaries between China's north and south. Elephant populations then moved further south to the Nanling Mountains, which stand between central and southern China. By the 1830s, wild elephants in China were limited to their current habitats in Yunnan. This marked the biggest change in habitat for endangered animals in China. This retreat inspired the research of British scholar Mark Alvin, a professor emeritus of Chinese history at Australian National University and a fellow at St. Antony's College, Oxford. In his book, The Retreat of the Elephants, An Environmental History of China, published in 2004, Elvin looks at human activities and its impact on nature, particularly how agriculture, war, and large-scale civil projects not only encroached on elephant habitats, but also left the environment degraded at the dawn of China's modern era. The areas around the Yellow River, where elephants once lived, were much more humid than they are today. Besides climate change, expanding agriculture and growing populations claimed the land and wood from forests where elephants and many wild animals lived. An example of human impact on the environment is the widespread use of animal wood in ancient Chinese architecture. A member of the evergreen family, Nanmu trees mainly grew along and south of the Yangtze River. Nanmu wood is sought after for its round shape, delicate texture, durability, strength, and lasting fragrance. In the 3rd century BCE, Qin Dynasty founder, Emperor Qin Shi Huang, had vast areas of Nanmu trees harvested to build his Epang Palace in what is today's western Xi'an, but it was never completed. According to a legend, the unfinished palace complex was burned down by the rebellion forces led by Xiang Yu that ultimately ended the Qing dynasty. However, scholars disagree on the fate of the palace to this day. Du Mu, a famous town poet in the 9th century, describes the vast palace complex in his verses he wrote it covered 300 li, the equivalent of 150 square kilometers, and its structures were so high that they blocked out the sun. He also lamented how the old-growth forests in the mountains of what is today's Sichuan were nearly exhausted in the palace's construction. More than 1,600 years later, Ming Dynasty Emperor Zhu Di ordered the construction of a new palace in Beijing, the Forbidden City. He wanted to move his capital from Nanjing to Beijing. 
These ambitious projects also required Namu trees, but by, by this time, they were difficult to come by. People had to venture further into the old forests of what is now Sichuan province and the nearby provinces of Hubei and Hunan to look for Namu trees. According to historical records, only half of a thousand people sent to find Namu trees returned from the old forests, which at the time were home to large predators like tigers. The biggest structure in the Forbidden City, Taihe Huo, or the Hall of Supreme Harmony, burned four times. The last time, it took more than 10 years to rebuild in the late 17th century during the successive Qing Dynasty, which decades earlier had taken the Forbidden City as its imperial residence. The Hall's Namu wood columns were replaced with pine, as even Emperor Kangxi who reigned during the China's longest period of prosperity, could not find a single Namu tree for the biggest hall of his palace. His version of the hall stands in what is now the Palace Museum and is one of the largest surviving Asian wooden structure in China. According to historical records, today's Shanxi province in China's northwest was endowed with the most fertile land of early China. In 141 BCE, Han Wudi ascended to the throne of the Western Han Dynasty when he was 16 years old, under the stewardship of his grandmother. The young emperor liked to dress up in disguise and go hunting with boys his age from noble families around the capital Chang'an, today's Xi'an. Very often, in the late afternoon, the boys rode their horses through fields, trampling the crops of local farmers when authorities tried to arrest them, the emperor revealed his identity. Two years after he took the throne, the emperor ordered for the expansion of Shangling Yuan, the imperial gardens. In ancient China, a Yuan was a botanical garden, hunting ground, and zoo. Shangling Yuan was first built by Emperor Qin Shi Huang in the suburbs of Chang'an. It was a private playground for Emperor Han Wudi where he could go hunting and sightseeing. The garden, covering about 340 square kilometers, was much larger than the area of Chang'an. Such massive gardens would not have been possible without rich natural resources. Both Chang'an and Shanglingyuan were destroyed in the wars that ended the Western Han. It was not until nearly 600 years later, during the Sui Dynasty, that a new palace was built near the former one in Chang'an. The successive Tang Dynasty also expanded the city, making it much larger than it was during the Western Han. The Tang also built imperial gardens northwest of Chang'an, near Mount Li, but it was much smaller than Emperor Han Wudi's Shanglingyuan. It proved that the local natural resources were already dwindling. After Chang'an was destroyed once again at the end of the Tang Dynasty, the area's prosperity declined not only because of war, but also ecological degradation. 400 years after the Tang ended in the early 10th century, the Ming Dynasty was founded. Although its first emperor, Zhu Yuanzhang, decided to make the city of Nanjing his capital, he considered moving it to Xi'an, which served as the capital of the Western Han town 
to very strong and prosperous dynasties. About 25 years after he took the throne, he asked Crown Prince Zhu Biao to make a trip to today's Shanxi to investigate the possibility of building the capital in Xi'an. In the end, he abandoned the idea, and the area lost its chance of returning to its former glory. Historians cite two major reasons why Zhu Yuanzhang gave up. One is that Zhu Biao, his favorite son, died soon after his trip to Shanxi. Heartbroken, the old emperor had to focus on choosing another successor, not another capital. The other reason was that, since the late Tang Dynasty, China's political, economic, and cultural center had been gradually shifting into the east, south, and north of the country. Again, ecological degradation was among the reasons for that shift. According to a 2011 study by Shanxi Normal University and Chinese Academy of Sciences, the Xi'an area had suffered from significant soil and water erosion since the late Tang Dynasty. The area's prosperity came at the price of the surrounding forests and grasslands. Wars and reconstruction over nearly 2,000 years from the Western Zhou to late Tang dynasties further strained natural resources. Many of the region's rivers dried up as a result, and with them, the agricultural advantages and shipping routes that made the area an attractive political center. With millennia of long-standing imbalances and impacts of human activity, nature is on the retreat. And if these trends continue, humans will increasingly become victims of the ecological degradation we ourselves have caused. That is the end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor JT. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.